Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here with Steve and Dr. Andy Steiger. Woohoo! Doctor's in the house. <laughs> that sounds like a, like a name for a villain, Dr. Steiger. I like it. Dr. Andy Steiger. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it sounds good, doesn't it? You know, there's some last names that just doctor just doesn't work. I think with Steiger, it does. So I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually in my doctoral studies. I, I came across this one author by the last name of Good Enough, <laughs> Doctor Good Enough. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, you know, I think after five years of PhD, where everybody kind of arrives there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> good enough. Yeah. That's yeah, so I funny. But anyway, yeah, certain yeah, there's certain people you just don't want operating on you, right? You don't want to hear over the intercom. Hey, can we get? Can we get Dr. Good Enough in here? <laughs> need to get some brain surgery yeah, we need right. to do here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I actually got to tell you this one, too, because yesterday I was reading an article, and there was a guy, true story, um, Dr. Yuck. That oh, is wow. <laughs> Don't want that guy coming in either, or gal. So if, uh, if there are listeners out there who are not sure what we're talking about, Andy passed his dissertation defense last week, and he got a pass. So he is officially... Uh, a Dr. Steiger, and he just has some minor corrections to make to his dissertation. But other than that, he's all good. So it's all paperwork from here. And it truly is. And it was interesting because I was looking through the corrections uh, yesterday, and uh, they they truly are minor. There, there's there's very few. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I'm that's thankful. Awesome. The only the only one that they that's kind of a a little bit larger is that they they want a glossary of terms. If you've ever read Michael Polanyi's work, it he it's full of his own lingo, which can be quite common in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need to uh, <laughs> need to help uh, help the reader a little bit as they're uh, navigating through some mm-hmm. of the some of the terminology. But yeah, man, it it is it feels very very good to be done five years worth of worth of work. And Jeez. I must confess, I don't get nervous easy. But when you're doing your what they call in the the UK your viva or or PhD defense. Uh, it it's pretty nerve wracking, mm. especially because it was funny because I asked my advisors before they do a mock uh, defense or mock viva with you ab- about a week out, and I asked them about other students in my PhD cohort, you know, and how they had done, and and it was just this list of oh so and so had had to step out for mental health reasons and. And so and so didn't pass, and so and so had a year deferral, and so and so had major corrections and chose not to attend to them. And and they're like, wow. "Do you want to know about anybody else?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "This is this has not been encouraging, men." So, I think uh, I think the university need, needed a win, and uh, and we we came in strong. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But that that definitely added to the stress. I'm like, I I, I was hoping for some encouragement here, <laughs> but uh, but it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, I want to thank you. They, uh, the the uh, AC team had to uh, take on podcasts and other things for a little while there as I uh, I went into heavy study mode. But I'm back. Well, now you can have a cool new sign off. You can be like, Hey, and if you need something more to talk about, call the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that, Troy. But I think I'm gonna think I can take a take a take a pass on that one. I will squeeze everything out of this. I can't. But <laughs> no. But again, c- congratulations, so Andy. Um, we're grateful for you. Um, excited for you and and the the doors that this will open up. Mm-hmm. 
No, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's been a good journey, and I've I've appreciated all I've learned. Well, today we're going to be looking at something I call the coconut dilemma, that uh, that I think is again is absolutely crucial to understand in our time. Bef- before we though jump into what exactly the coconut dilemma is, I think Steve has something that he wants to start us off on uh, as. As kind of broad category, we're going to be looking at our trust level mm-hmm. uh, in society. But Steve, you want to? You you said you had something humorous you wanted to kick us off with. Yeah. So, listeners, if you follow the Babylon Bee, which is an endless <laughs> source of entertainment these days, <clears throat> last year in April they released um, how different news outlets cover their stories. So it starts off with President Trump said, "Good morning." And here's how 12 news outlets covered the story. I'll share with you just some. Fox News. Trump unveils plan to make mornings great again. (laughs) Huffington Post. Mornings are sexist. Here's how. CNN. Can you believe what Fox News said about this? One America Network. Glorious leader Trump causes sun to rise in East once again. Snopes, fact check, false. False. Um, uh, Here's my favorite The Daily Wire. Trump destroys libs with these two little words. Uh, The New York Times, mornings are better in communist China. And finally, here's Vice. I combined 12 prescription drugs and slept with a hooker to experience why mornings are transphobic. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> wow. I'm not even sure what to, what, not even sure what to say to that, but may, you know that's actually a, I think a perfect segue into <clears throat> this topic that we're going to be getting into with regards to trust in the media. Uh, and in fact, there was a poll that Rudders put out this summer. It was released in June. It was a part of uh, some work that they had done in 46 nations as they were looking at what are the trust levels in these countries. It shouldn't surprise listeners to learn that the United States ranked the lowest in trust level in the media at a whopping 29% of people saying that they trust the media. I I have to confess to you guys, when I read this article, I was actually shocked. Yeah. That they could find twenty nine percent of the U.S. population mm. that was willing to place their trust in the media. I, I I actually thought it was. I thought that was high. Mm. Yeah. Well, it looks like Canada's doing a little better at forty five percent. Yeah, we're kind of right in the middle, aren't we? Yeah. In yeah. the trust level. Yeah. Even there, uh, though, right? It's more than half mm. the people are saying I I can't trust the media. Right. So that's actually pretty grim. In my view. It is yeah. actually pretty grim. You take the highest trust level is Finland. Uh, what is it? Uh, 65%? That's right. Yeah, 65%. And for those interested, the UK uh, ranked uh, thir- with uh, 36% of people willing to place their trust in the media. Now, the challenge is uh, exactly as you were getting at there, Steve, with with this humorous article, is it's it's incredibly difficult to have any level of trust in the media, which I've been quite open on the show, that I have virtually zero trust in the media these days. Uh, and and I think actually everyone should come into a media article, especially after you hear us get into the coconut dilemma, with reservation. And, 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 and 
a, pr- uh, a, a, a an attitude of discernment. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, Troy. Ready to discern because I, I want to lean t- towards this idea of you know skeptical, but but I, I I don't I don't really like that term, and I think that yeah. that kind of has this negative connotation to it because I think really what we're saying is. There is news somewhere in there, but I have to actually put the hard work of finding it mm-hmm. because yeah. it's it's not. I can't trust that the news has actually provided me news. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing as of late, I'll share this project eventually. Is what when I, while I watch the news, uh, I've been taking snapshots, basically of articles just like what you've read there, Steve. Uh, you can find this so readily. <clears throat> and there are different memes that that are floating around where where people have taken a snapshot of different news agencies on a specific topic, and you can see it spun in a hundred different ways, which again is is incredibly challenging as we are hunting for truth in, in a culture that has politicized everything. Mm-hmm. So. Guys, I think the best way for me to get into things is just to explain the coconut dilemma, and then let's talk from there. Because, uh, listeners, uh, I've told Steve and Troy about my analogy that I call the coconut dilemma, but I have refused to actually explain it to them until we do the show. Well, I, I'm still convinced that the coconut dilemma, at least in this house, is the show Coco Melon, because that is ruining families <laughs> all over the world. It is just, and so when you said, let's talk about it, I was ready. We, we are going to talk about these ridiculous songs hurting the hearts of families. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, something tells me that this is a, a dilemma that parents with small children are facing. Oh, it's... It is a, an <laughs> epidemic in its in itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I haven't had to deal with that. Uh, so, listen. Here's here's the coconut dilemma. It might surprise listeners to hear. It might surprise you guys to learn that coconuts are, in fact, quite dangerous. Uh, they're lethal, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> now, I didn't realize this until I went traveling because before I went, you know, to a land that actually had coconuts. I had assumed that the coconut you buy in the store, uh, you know, those, those little, you know, brown baseball shaped, you know, coconuts, I thought that was a coconut. But when you go abroad and you actually see a coconut tree, uh, you realize that that, that in fact is not a coconut. A coconut has any, a very thick husk mm-hmm. over it that makes it actually the size of a basketball it's very heavy, and coconut trees are very tall. So, so when a coconut releases and falls to the ground, I mean, you you can hear it hit the beach, and it hits hard. Hard. <laughs> uh, this surprised me because when I in my travels, I learned that that every year tourists die uh, by coconuts. They if they are say hanging out under a coconut tree, sunbathing, maybe lay down their towel, you know, and go for a snooze, and a coconut falls, you know, from 50, you know, 60, 70 feet and hits you in the head, you know, you're done. That's it. That's it. You don't walk away from that. No. <laughs> Especially when you again when you see how big and heavy these these coconuts actually are. Well, this is a true story, guys. Uh, Nancy and I were in Malaysia, and we went to the beach to go for dinner. 
and the this waiter is is in the process of pulling out the chair and seating Nancy. I'm standing right beside her as she's being seated, and I'm about to go to the other side of the table to sit down. When we hear a rustling up in the tree, and it happened to be a coconut tree, the waiter stopped Nancy from sitting down. He looked up, and then he he put her his hand on her and kind of pushed her about a foot. Uh, towards my direction. And right as he's doing this, a coconut slams onto her chair uh, with like, and, and, and like breaks this, this plastic chair. It hits so hard. And Nancy and I like looked at each other and we're like, okay, like those stories about <laughs> tourists getting hit by coconuts, like, like Ooh. that's legit. And like, honestly, like it was that close wow. to her just getting pegged with with a coconut and and i often wonder you know look thinking back on that story i mean would would she have walked away from that i i don't think so crushing like yeah crushing a chair that's some that's neck because i mean they're it's not just hard but they're also filled with all that liquid so the weight it's just like boom (laughs) boom yeah Yeah. they they hit so so here's the thing with the coconut dilemma that a lot of people don't think about. And this is the challenge that we have with national and global news. And it's this, truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth. Let me say that again. Truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth. See, this is the challenge of national news. And actually in the Rudder's uh, poll, this was something that kind of came out, was people's trust level in the media was higher for local news and was much lower for global national news. And the, and the challenge is, and people are, are starting to see this more and more, that when you have a, uh, a network that can cherry pick news stories from across the nation and across the globe, mm-hmm. you can choose whatever narrative you want to push because you just pick those stories that push your narrative or your political agenda, whatever that may be. And before you know it, it's this idea, again, truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth. Because I could imagine, going back to the coconut dilemma, where news stories begin to cherry pick news about coconut trees from around the globe and the number of tourists that have been killed by a a coconut, stories like mine of eyewitness accounts of the dangers of coconuts. And if all you heard was a steady flow of how dangerous coconut trees are and all these different stories of people who either did get hit by coconuts or almost got hit by coconuts, guys, I don't think it would it would take very long before you would see a world with coconut trees that had been cut down. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That's so true. Because now all of a sudden, all of these news stories are going to start to color the way that you see coconut trees as this danger that we need to cut down. Uh, and again, now, are coconut trees that dangerous? Well, yeah, they're dangerous, but are they so dangerous that we should cut down all of our coconut trees? I think that you guys can start to get an appreciation for where I'm going with this Mm. coconut dilemma and how this plays out in our news today. Absolutely. I think I mentioned this a little while back, especially when we were talking about that um, Capitol Hill incident back in January, if you remember. So that's when we were talking about media stuff, right? And one of the things we mentioned is that, you know, news these days 
um, there used to be a time when there was a, a some sense of okay, we need to report the facts, right? We need to report the facts, but then more and more um, commentaries were being added to what they were talking about, and then you start to see, just like you said, Andy, even in what stories are being told and what's being left out, what you start to see is there's this kind of value-driven agenda. Everybody has their value, and that comes out in even what you hear in the first place, not even just the commentaries that are being put on the facts that are being reported, but even what's being selected. And so this was really interesting. Just last night, we had uh, a new friend over, and we were talking, and this lady said, these days when I read the news, like I haven't watched the news in a while, but when I do, like I constantly feel the need to read between the lines, right? And that I, th- I thought and, said a lot. And really, Steve, I think that's exactly the point that the coconut dilemma begins to highlight. And that is when you come to the news, whether you're reading local or national, you should be asking yourself this question. Is this newsworthy? Mm-hmm. It, is this actually newsworthy? And then as you're dealing with that question, you should be asking, why did this news agency tell me this story? Mm-hmm. And why did they tell it to me in this way? Because as we mentioned at the very beginning in a humorous way, but actually quite true, you can find that news story on a variety of different news platforms spun in a variety of different ways particularly in a world that has gotten to this place in which we are now politicizing everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to give people even like um, an example on a micro scale, for me as an artist, I have the ability to do targeted ads myself as I'm not a news agency. I'm not a, a big corporation. I am one individual who has the ability to send the same post to different cities, different states, different provinces, different countries with entirely different uh, description, entirely different way of spinning it, the same thing. And and I get that basic ability just on Facebook. And what that does for me is if I'm going on a tour and I'm going to be hitting a whole bunch of different cities, I have to make ads that are specific to that city or, or that venue. I can't just do a blanketed statement. And so if I'm able to do that, then don't be surprised that, you know, as we're, as we're saying that in the news, it's, it's literally this, the same approach. It's targeted marketing. If I'm trying to spin uh, a web or get a certain group of people really excited, really riled up, I'm going to target them in such a way. I think that's a great point, Troy. And I want to talk about social media because that is part of media, right? That's part of the news, right? There's the news that a broadcaster, right, who's paid to do this is giving you, but there's also news that an advertiser's giving you, that a friend is giving you, that, you know, it, that's coming at you from a multiplicity of ways. But as we're getting into this deeper, I, I want to define a term that often gets thrown around, and that is propaganda. It's, I know it's a loaded term, but but many people haven't just stopped to to take a look at the definition. And, and as I read the definition of propaganda, I want you to ask yourself, is this going on today? Here's the definition. Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Absolutely is going on today. I think and most people— being fair, yeah would say that it it's been going on for 
forever. Let's let's just let's just call it what it is. It's I think sometimes we when we hear propaganda, we think of um maybe what was happening during the Holocaust where they were, you know, it's the extreme, you know, we'll only call it propaganda when it seems very very extreme, but I would I would argue that the most dangerous propaganda is the subtle stuff that doesn't seem mm-hmm. propaganda by you know base level def- by base level appearance. Yeah, you know it's interesting you mentioned that Troy because I sometimes um, look up the North Korean news, and if you read their stuff, it is hilarious because their bias is so obvious. Right, so if you want to have some like entertaining read, it, it you know just read the state-run news out of North Korea. The bias is so blatantly obvious; it's it's almost funny. But I agree with you; it's the subtle stuff that's really dangerous. It is the subtle stuff that's that's dangerous because this gets back to that truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth, and that is if I get to cherry pick the news articles. I'm not I'm not giving you false news necessarily. I might be giving you a steady stream of true news, like true events at least. But because of everything I'm leaving out, what I'm choosing to highlight and then particularly in a culture that uh is spinning news and in and writing news in such a way that it it becomes clickbait, right? Where that agenda can be even found, even in the way that that article's titled. Again, it becomes very tricky before you know it. And this is the part that I've at least found in my own experience lately, is, is you feel that frog in a kettle moment where all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even realize I was getting caught up in that propaganda because I didn't realize that I was taking in a steady stream of a one-sided you know, perspective where I, I'm being led along in whatever agenda it is. And and people might be thinking as we bring up this coconut dilemma, I wonder if they have this in mind or this in mind. I just want to make it really clear. I have them all in mind. Uh, like th- this is this is happening on, on a broad scale. Now, I want to go back to quickly here with what you're saying, Steve, about the comedy level. Okay. If you're reading North Korean news, because we also have a comedy level and it's in our social media news. Yeah. And, and I just heard this mm-hmm. recently. I was this last weekend, I was down in Portland. As many of you know, my family's from Portland. As you can imagine, all that's been going on down there, uh, there's there's quite a bit of frustration. However, I have to confess, it's always interesting for me to go back down there and to realize that so much right now, particularly of Portland, has been politicized, you know, to either show how terrible Portland is or whatever they want to, for whatever kind of purposes a news agency might have. I always find it interesting when I go down there and I talk with people and hear about what's actually going on, how people are wrestling with what's taking place, you get all of a sudden a much fuller picture of what's actually happening. But here's one picture of what's happening down there that I thought was funny and sad all at the same time. So I have a friend who uh, is in the police policing uh, in with the National Guard and was part of the police force that was part of the riots. And and he said to me, Andy, on a number of occasions, we uh, the police would be standing there. Nothing's happening. You know, you have the police on one side, you got protesters on the other side. And then all of a sudden, he says, "I was watching as this lady 
who was just standing there, all of a sudden started working herself up into a frenzy, pulled out her phone, began to video herself as she, in tears, talked about how awful all this was and, and, and the brutality and everything. And then calmly turns her phone back off, puts it away, and, and walks away. And he, you know, he here's this police officer. He looks over at his friends. And he's like, "Did did you guys just see that?" <laughs> you know. And after you see that a couple times, you start to realize, you know, I'm not so sure I can trust what I'm seeing yeah. uh, on social media uh, because to say that Instagram is curated on one hand is a no brainer. Yeah. But it's interesting that we forget how curated the news can even be as a person spins it for whatever reason they might have as they post it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to remember also that there's an algorithm at play. You Mm -hmm. know, in the world of social media, it's even it is specifically curated to who you follow, what you like everything down to down to a T. And so when you look at an algorithm, like you see some people, well, I didn't see that on my timeline. It's like, yeah, because it's not part of your algorithm. You actually have to actively go and seek it out to find it. And then once you've sought it out a few times, then it'll start becoming part of your algorithm and the algorithm will sway. And it's the same thing in just literally everything. Well, say talking about literally everything, when I was down in Oregon visiting my mom, uh, we went to watch a movie on Netflix and it was funny just seeing how, how drastically different her Netflix account was compared to my own. Yeah. Right. I mean, hers was just full of Hallmark movies and and the like perfectly curated to her likings, but you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's easy for us though, to forget what's happening behind the scenes in those ways. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just thinking theologically here. This is where human depravity um, really complicates things, right? So on a couple of levels, I think we need to have some humility here. One is just like you guys were saying earlier about how some people, right, just don't have those noble intentions. Some just have malicious intent and they make up stories that are not even true or is so skewed and they do it intentionally and then they put it up on social media. And on the second level, like we were saying, there is curated stuff going on. There's algorithm stuff going on. But what I find really interesting is, you know, human depravity on display when everybody all of a sudden has this need to be an expert in everything on social media. So, you know, for a while, you know, everybody was an expert virologist on the issue of COVID-19. Then Afghanistan stuff blows up and everybody is all of a sudden an expert on international politics and, you know, the history of Islam or whatever, right? And so I think knowing that, you know, there is this algorithm at play, which, by the way, I don't think was created for necessarily a nefarious purpose. I mean, there is something to be said about you getting personalized content. You know, like I've been getting into some woodworking and I see these days, I see a lot of like ads for tools and woodworking courses and stuff like that. And that's great. I was just telling Sharina last night, this is, this is kind of nice, you know, But at the same time, this can have that negative effect of you only seeing, if it's something political especially, right? You're only seeing one side of things. And and I think we need to be a little bit more humble, myself included, right? I I don't want to excuse myself from that number. This kind of felt need to be an expert in everything. We ain't all that. And, And maybe you need to ask yourself, 
as I've been asking myself, am I being caught up in the coconut dilemma? Have I been a frog in the kettle that has just been swept along in whatever media that has caught my attention in various capacities and now is affecting the way that I see and understand people, the way that I see and understand God, the way that I see and understand the world, right? I mean, our desire is truth. The challenge, though, is we live in a world that has made it incredibly difficult to find truth. And guys, listen, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one question I keep asking myself is, I'm, I'm not even convinced that humans were meant to have global or national news. Uh, think about that. You know, I, I'm really not convinced that, that we were, because I mean, when you start looking at a global or national level, it's fascinating to me to see what kind of news articles get juxtaposed, whether that be uh, an earthquake somewhere, a tsunami, whether it's a building that's collapsed or what, whatever it is, right, that gets juxtaposed with whatever... Uh, you know, whatever some actress is doing or or what they've said or whatever agenda they're promoting, right? And you're like, you, you just get lost in all of these different articles going, man, like constantly feeling like you're working through this jungle of media and, and you're not even sure uh, what you're doing there in the first place or where this is all supposed to lead. Like, why do I need to know that, for example, that a building collapsed in Florida? Right. I do do I need to know that? Right. And and it's interesting how that can affect you because if all you hear about is stories and the news by and large is negative, right? If all I hear is buildings collapsing around the world, which has been happening since the very beginning, by the way, whether it be fires or whatever, uh, it's just now we have the technology to know it. But I'm not sure it's good for me to know all of that stuff. And especially as I'm taking on all that negative, you know, all those negative stories all the time. And to think that that's not going to cause me anxiety, mm-hmm. right? That that's not going to cause me frustration or at least even just skew my views of w- apartment buildings now or whatever it be. And that now I'm not sure if I can trust my my apartment or is it going to collapse on me? Do you, are you guys understand what I'm getting at here? Yeah. yeah. That. It just leads to, and this is kind of something we were talking about at the beginning, is that danger between, uh, is knowing the difference between skepticism and, and discernment. You know, it's, uh, discernment is, is discernment is educated. It's, uh, it's been an active process, whereas skepticism oftentimes is like there has been a catalyst that has led you to believe something, but now you're looking at everything through that lens. And it, it, it can... It's very damaging. It can be very, very damaging. It leads to fear, and and fear causes you to just to build walls. And I believe that's what that what happens. And uh, we build these walls, and that's how we can get you know separated into our political agendas, our you know our social agendas, and our opinions, and those sorts of things. And it just really pulls us away from each other. And then when you you put a believer in that position, you put the church in that position. Now you have pastoral leaders who feel starting to feel that, oh, should I say something about this? Should I? And then all of a sudden, and I don't believe, uh, I don't want to believe all pastors are intentionally trying to take a political side, but I do believe sometimes because of skepticism, they end up falling into that because the, because of what their convictions lead them to feeling. And that, that in itself can lead churches to then starting to sway, well, we believe this here. And it's not necessarily a biblical truth, but it becomes something that they believe is, thus saith the Lord. And that's a very dangerous place. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's interesting to see, Troy, how that can happen politically, but that can also happen theologically. Mm. I think you can all imagine how the coconut dilemma could play itself out in the way that I view the Bible. Absolutely. Again, truth plus truth doesn't necessarily equal truth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think about the way we, we read the Bible, right? Um, I always find it interesting when I encounter certain you know, people from certain cults Right, um, they, and they have a skewed view of who Jesus is, let's say, and they start quoting scripture to me. Uh, almost always, it's cherry picked, right? So, for somebody who comes from a cult that denies that Jesus is God, let's say, they love to quote passages such as in the Gospel of John, where it says, where Jesus says, "You know, the Father, uh, the Father is greater than I," but they almost never quote where he claims to be able to forgive sins or, you know, things like my father and I are one or, you know, in the beginning was the word. Before right? Ab- before Abraham was, was I, I am. am. Or Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you know, that Jesus is identical right. uh, to the Father. And those kinds of things. Or, you know, when they give those uh, pieces of scripture to me, it's, you know, sometimes it's mistranslated and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and, I remember my teacher at Biola, Kevin Lewis, who taught us systematic theology. He said, any heresy like that, if you look at it, it's almost always, it almost always comes from cherry-picked Bible verses. When you put the whole thing together as a whole, then you get a different picture from what you're getting. Um, And so, just like how we deal with the news, right? We have to be careful about cherry-picking Bible verses. And it doesn't just have to be important doctrines like divinity of Jesus or something like that, but even the way we view sexuality or or something like that, or, right? Or what about the way that we view health and wealth? Mm-hmm. I mean, this this comes up so often, right? Because if, if all I tell you you know, is, is or show you is the health and wealth verses, it's easy to have a skewed understanding yeah. of the gospel. But if I don't tell you about how the disciples were persecuted, mm-hmm. how they were, you know, murdered for their faith, if I don't talk to you about Paul's shipwrecks, his beatings, mm-hmm. and the like, and his imprisonments, Right. If, again, if you don't get that full perspective, I mean, again, it's very easy to get taken along, and before you know it, you're you are outside of truth. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard a bunch of Bible verses, but you actually don't have truth at the end of that journey. Yeah. And so, you, I think it's such an important point that, hey, whether or not I'm coming to the media or even I'm listening to a pastor or a sermon, whatever it is, I always have to be engaged in that going, yeah. is this the truth? Is this the full truth? Is this being, am I just getting one view constantly or am I getting the full perspective? Yeah. And and one thing that I've been feeling led to do is as I'm reading scripture and, you know, for take example, the, the Israelites versus the Egyptians, I, the Lord has led me to looking at places in my life where I've been the Egyptian. Sometimes we always look at ourselves as the as the Israelites, like, oh, we are the ones that were in bondage. We're the ones in in this, and then you apply it to your life where something's happening. But it's also important to look at yourself through the lens of, man, when have I been the one keeping others captive? Whether whether it's a a, a decision I made, whether it's a, a way I'm operating, and and how have I created an atmosphere for? for someone else to stumble, for someone else to bondage, just because 
it, it can happen in ministry. You don't really you don't really realize it sometimes. But you know, it's interesting if we go back to the media on this. It means that people don't always necessarily have some sort of uh, nefarious agenda to what they're doing. It could be just the case that a news agency realizes that if they show certain news stories and if they title them in certain provocative ways, that they get more clicks, which ad, which creates more ad revenue, which keeps the lights on. Do you, this 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 is the challenge, right? We're mm-hmm. we're telling the news has become so challenging. And I got to I got to confess I don't know what the answer to this is uh because you know even here in Canada we have our own problems. Canada realized that telling the news is not a profitable business. So we uh have in Canada at least where news agencies are being supported by the government. That is a problem, right? Because now you have to ask are you going to bite the hand that feeds you? Uh, probably not, right? So now this creates its own set of challenges. Like, it, mm-hmm. my point being, this isn't like, a, it, this gets back to a broken world with broken people, and it's not an easy fix. There's not like, oh, here's the solution. I think, I think ultimately, if I'm trying to push it, anything in the solution here is to recognize the coconut dilemma, Yeah. to recognize the challenge, to realize that in my brokenness, I might even like the coconut dilemma, right? Because I the because I don't like coconut trees, right? And so that just led me to a conclusion maybe I already had that I wanted to cut down those trees. I'm allergic. Do you, <laughs> I, I, do, do you see what I'm getting at yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. Where, where I got to check my own motives. I got to be. I got to. I got to make sure that that I'm not even just deceiving myself in this. Yeah. Sometimes people without that overt nefarious motives, we create these problems. Um, I would encourage our listeners to watch the movie Parasite. Remember, Andy, you and me, and it was back before Troy joined us. So Terry and the three of us were talking about the movie. And what's really fascinating about the movie is if you watch it, not a single character in there is all good or all bad. They're actually you know, like average people like you and me who are pretty decent. But at the end of the movie, this huge tragedy breaks out because, you know, it, it was, they were just crooked enough. Everybody was just bad enough, right? even though they were, you know, they had some good sides to them as well. And so I think, I think this is something similar, right? Um, I mean, if, if you've talked to me before about ethics and things like that, you understand that I ha- place a lot of stock in good intentions, but I recognize that good intentions alone don't excuse the things that are happening. And, and you know the saying, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, those kinds of things. And so, mm-hmm. and I appreciate what you're, you're saying, Andy, that I myself have to kind of look at what it is that I'm doing and, and really examine myself. Right? Do I like? Do I want the coconut tree cut down? Here's an interesting thought for you, uh, and that is we when we often talk about end times and we talk about the antichrist, right? The anti messiah, the anti savior. Mm-hmm. We often think about that as a singular person, but I can't help but wonder if that's in fact a community. Yeah, a community of of people that get swept in their own madness. It's the spirit of the Antichrist, right? It's it's the whole attitude around it. You know, there's a lot of 
Christian artists in the last few years that I've seen that have not just stopped making Christian music, but have said, I have walked away from Christ. That's not what has alarmed me. What has alarmed me is they have walked away from Christ. They've said that, hey, I still love you guys. I still, you know, within the, the small subgenre that Christian hip hop is, I still love you guys. But then there's this constant bashing of the church. It's this constant bashing of, of Christ. And it's like, wait a minute. When you first left, you said it had nothing to do, in this scenario, it had nothing to do with the people. You were just having a really hard time believing because of whatever circumstances going on in your life. In all honesty, and some people on, on here may not like me saying this, but to me, that's fine. Because I still believe that the Holy Spirit can compel and can still reveal and can, st- can still work. Mm-hmm. But where it becomes an issue for me is when now you have a vendetta against something that you said doesn't even have power anymore and you don't even believe in. Now, if I don't believe that Barney the dinosaur is a real person, has a real school, I am not going to then have a vendetta against Barney. I'm not because it, it because I don't believe in it. Maybe this isn't the best example, but just... just take- uh, I love it because it just reminds me of the age of your kids right now. <laughs> We've had two illustrations right. from you on this podcast, and they're like, "Yeah, he has small kids." All the parents are just like, on. "All the parents are like, I, I get you, man." But you know what I mean? Like, if I truly don't believe that something is real or exists, like, say I'm, I'm watching a movie and there's a villain mm-hmm. who's just a really good villain in all the shows, it makes no sense for me to turn that off and keep talking to my wife like, "I just don't like that guy. I just, I just really don't like him." Because he doesn't exist. If I don't believe he exists, then there's no point. But when, you know, you often see it is people, they stop believing in Jesus to say he no longer exists. Hey, you picked one side or the other. The Lord can work with that. There's that, there's that brokenness, the sin, and you and I live in that world. We live in a broken world with sinful people. Yeah. And that includes us. And we have to constantly be asking, okay, what am I hearing from other people, but also what am I thinking and what am I saying and and working that out. One of the things I love about Jesus, and maybe this is a great place for us to end our podcast, is Jesus had a beautiful and powerful way to step into that as he does with his disciples repeatedly and challenge them to their core of of who, and you particularly see this immediately, my mind goes to the parable of the Good Samaritan, but but Jesus tells many of his own parables or coconut dilemmas, if you will, right? And I'm not comparing myself with Jesus' ability to tell parables, but you get what I'm talking about, where he's stepping in there, though, and he's and he's challenging people in, um, in the... In the in the ideologies that they're being swept into, the the ideas they have and how they're seeking to perhaps hate somebody or justify their actions, particularly, again, you see that with the Good Samaritan one, where, you know, those who follow Jesus are are being challenged as he, as he is seeking to lead them instead of them leading themselves or following somebody else. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This should be the posture of every Christian, as Paul says, follow after me as I follow after Christ. Yeah. I'm either following after Jesus or I'm following after somebody in my life that has a positive influence, but I'm only following them because they're leading me to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And to the extent that they are not leading me to Jesus, I'm not following them. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the AC Podcast. 
Um, for our listeners who, you know, maybe somewhat challenged by today's by today's podcast, we wanted to give you guys just some practical application. And this is something we've said before. When you see something in the news, one of the things that the team we like to do is we see something in the news, we'll get stories from multiple news outlets to get a well-rounded understanding of the climate, of what is going on in the world or a specific situation. And that way you can properly discern your next steps, your next approach, whether it is something local or something internationally. But all of those things, regardless of how they may be perceived, walk through them in prayer and look to the scriptures. That's ultimately where you're going to find your comfort, your discernment. And it's not always about having to say something. Sometimes it's just a posture of remaining, being still and knowing that he is God. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's episode. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. And as such, we are on all of your favorite streaming platforms, which now includes Amazon Music. That's right. The AC Podcast is now on Amazon Music. So you can like and subscribe over there, too. If there's someone you know who's been wanting to listen and hasn't been able to, help us out and pass on the word. Like we've said before, we're active on social media. So if something we said resonated with you today, feel free to hit us up there. For all other questions and inquiries, please send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com. Until next time, join us next week as we find more things to think about. And as always, love God, love people. Bye for now.